0: So here we are, the third Sunday of Advent. You know, we paused and wondered, how many Sundays has it been? We hadn't lit the candles yet. We're on our road to Bethlehem to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But each year, we're a little different on this journey. Yes, we're a little older, and the year's experiences have formed us. Each year brings additions or losses to our life, growth or setbacks. This Advent, we are working through the lectionary in a fresh way. You remember the lectionary is a a list of scripture texts that the global church, the ecumenical church, works through each Sunday, and each week has three or four passages. For Advent, this year, we've been exploring the scripture passages less traveled. Familiar but important to our faith. So our passage this morning is from the book of James, This New Testament letter is a general letter. It's not written to a particular church. It's filled with general wisdom and admonition for the community of believers. And this community was living in a time of waiting. They were living in a time of oppression and suffering. They were watching and waiting for Jesus' return. So pray with me before we read our lesson. Lord God, as we approach the celebration of the birth of Jesus as he is born anew in our hearts. Lord, strengthen our hearts and minds for the journey. Lord, may the Holy Spirit inspire us with your word as we learn more about how to live in this season of waiting. We pray in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, amen. Listen to our passage this morning, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Advent is a season of watching and waiting again, that journey to Bethlehem to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we're waiting. We have a timeline of our yearly rhythm, waiting again to celebrate God born to a humble family for the whole of humanity. But we're also in a waiting place to see the outcome of our own human story within God's epic story. We're just like the early believers in that respect. And I was thinking about waiting spaces, waiting rooms, or in hospitals, or at least how they used to be before COVID. Like this waiting room, bland, But we know that so much is going on for the people there. Sometimes in waiting rooms, you can't quite see the daylight, and it feels disorienting. If you're excitedly waiting for a birth, it will feel different in that waiting room than if you're waiting for an uncertain outcome to a surgery, or even more different, if a loved one is transitioning in their last days on Earth. You know, when you're spending time in such a room, it can feel like time is moving at a different pace. It can feel glacial and slow, but then when you look back, time seems to blend. I've been with people in waiting rooms and someone's last day. We cycle from ordinary things, eat the sandwich, have some coffee, here's a donut, and then to remember nostalgic things about that person sometimes dwelling in a profound place like anticipated loss and sadness, sometimes experiencing shock and numbness and everything in between. And often people engage in small talk, maybe finding some temporary relief, thinking about something else than what they're waiting for. In Advent, we anticipate the coming of the Lord. So maybe our waiting room is a labor and delivery room, a little more joyful. But Jesus has already been born, right? We believe this, that Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh through the womb of a humble and courageous woman. And then Jesus lived a human life, fully human, fully divine. He grew to be a teacher and a prophet. He revealed the kingdom of God. And when the time came, Jesus, Son of God, died on the cross to absorb the sins of humanity. On, and on that third day after his death... He rose again, demonstrating his power over death, demonstrating the fullness of God absorbed sin and death. Resurrection Sunday, which we celebrate every Sunday. And Jesus is glorified and reigning in heaven. And someday, when the time is right, he'll return in glory, ushering in the new heaven and earth. He will come again. Jesus will come again. That is what the author of James is reminding this community of believers. It's both comforting and a little terrifying because we can't imagine what it will look like. And it's not our usual inclination to think about things that we can't understand or see. You might be aware of some of the claims from other Christian traditions or even some cults that claim they can precisely estimate when Jesus will return. They think they can crack the code of Revelation, Old Testament prophecy, and calculate the exact timing. Or they look at world events. You know, every generation sees the end of the world in the war, depravity, pain, and suffering in their midst. But we remember when the disciples asked the resurrected Jesus about his timing. This is what he said. It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. So it's not for us to know. There are these different interpretations about what it means for Jesus to return in glory. You know, will it roll out bit by bit, chapter by chapter, or will it just be like a Netflix series dropping all at once? (laughs) Who knows? Some people have focused on Jesus' return, and it's become a little associated with fear-based evangelism. But friends, that's not us. We are focused on an evangelism of God's grace rather than fear. So we want to understand this hope of Jesus' return and live into the promise, but not get twisted up in unproven ideas and estimations of time. I've long remembered what theologian Stanley Grentz wrote about Jesus' return. I read this in seminary. Must we find in historical situations and events literal correspondence to biblical figures? Or ought we we to remain open to the possibility that biblical imagery is intended to correspond instead to deeper spiritual realities? Yes, the highlighting is mine. Let's pursue the deeper spiritual realities. Let's strengthen our hearts for the coming of the Lord. But how do we do this? First, I believe we seek to embrace the rhythms of our lives. We seek to be aware of our lives and the rhythms as they connect with the spiritual realities, how we're formed, how we're growing. So right now, we are embracing the season of Advent. We're waiting as Jesus is born anew in our hearts, bringing us a fresh infusion of joy and hope. And listen to that instruction in this passage. We are to be like the farmer with the crop, waiting between the first and the second rains. You know, Palestine is a land without much rainfall. The first rains in the fall would start the grain seeds germinating, and the later springs will complete the growth of those grains. The farmer's crop would sprout, first in the dark, but then would emerge tender from the soil. Our life is like that farmer's crop. We have different seasons of our life. Sometimes we're in the promising but muddy, rainy season. Sometimes we're in that dry waiting season, but that's actually where the growth happens as the tender sprout reaches up to the surface, to the light. Sometimes we may not sense the Lord's presence, and even in this time of darkness, and even in our suffering, we're actually growing. That's the dark night of the soul as described by that Spanish mystic, St. John of the Cross. So I ask you, where are you in your story with God? What season of life are you in? Reflect with gratitude when God's grace has watered your soul. And use those dry seasons of your life, the aching, hurting, yearning times to reflect on God's grace. Reflect on when you felt those quenching early rains. Understand that you could be growing through that season, even if it doesn't feel fruitful. So consider the larger season of your life, but also know that there's a daily rhythm, a way to seek light and grace and goodness. Be in a habit of seeking and experiencing goodness every day. We are people wired to find daily habits. Seek those habits that bring light and life. Be creatures of good habits, like a cat. (laughs) There's my cat, Daphne. You knew I needed a cat illustration after last week. (laughs) My cat Daphne seeks light on sunny days. She comes into my room at the same time each day. Here she is seeking that small sliver of light, expectant that beyond that curtain is the full warmth of the sun. She knows if I haven't opened the curtains yet that I'll do that. Look how happy she is in the sun. So like my cat, we need habits to have some good daily rhythms of seeking light and beauty, and goodness. So what are your habits? What are your intentions about your daily bread, the morning light, your home, and your routine? So we have this rhythm, but we're not solo creatures. We live in community with others. So there was my cat, Daphne, and here's my other cat, Abby, coming to take her son. So they grumble, they squirmish a bit. I shoo them apart. I didn't get a picture of them fighting, because it's hard to teach grace to cats. I'll give you that. (laughs) It takes more than routine. It takes intention. I love cats, but they don't have much self-awareness to set an intention for mercy and justice. And that's what we are called to. So a second way to strengthen our hearts for the coming of the Lord is to set an intention to share grace rather than pass judgment on others. Jesus will return to set the world right, everything and everyone in the new heaven and earth. It's a reminder that we shouldn't rush to judge others. We are not the judge. Don't be like my cats that pounce without thinking. So I have some Advent wisdom from the church mothers. Now, I'm not talking about the early church mothers, but the thoughtful leaders sitting in our pews. It might be one of you. Here's a story one of our church leaders shared about the formative lesson that she had about choosing grace over judgment. When she was a child, her family had a coal furnace. And her older brother, well, he was mean. He was consistently unkind. And so one Christmas, she got the idea, when she was around 13 or 14, to wrap a lump of coal and put it in his stocking. And that same year, he gave her a bottle of perfume. Chanel Number 5, in fact. And he'd never given her a present before. And she'd never had real perfume. And even though her brother kind of deserved the coal, she felt really bad, particularly as she saw him open that coal. And she's remembered this experience over many years, and it's formed her to be a woman to share grace rather than judgment. And she shared this with her friends, so her friends know who I'm talking about, and they won't name her name, will they? No, because they're good friends. One of her friends noted that grace is hard to give, but it is worth it. Do you agree? Have you experienced that? It is worth it. It is sometimes harder to see when you're hurting, but you see it in hindsight. And it isn't about whether or not your sibling deserves that judgment, deserves that call. It's about what it does to our hearts when we engage in judgment and retaliation. And I know this is hard. It is hard. Sometimes we need examples of how we've gotten it wrong, or sometimes we have grace given to us, and it inspires us. An example of Christmastime grace in my family that's had a lasting effect has been the kindness of my stepchildren's mother, Margarita, my husband Dave's first wife. When my kids were little, she was always gracious about our Christmas time with Melissa and Eric. They were teenagers. She didn't keep score, and there were quite a few Christmases in a row where they came out and had Christmas with us. She knew that she could celebrate at any time, but that we had small children. And it's hard to navigate and recreate a second Christmas with smaller children, right? So I have this picture. I have these blessed memories. That's from 2004 or so. And I think that it was that grace that has paved a way for our family to happily celebrate being grandparents together. Here we are after quarantining together after our grandson, Grant, was born. That's Melissa in the middle. So I don't know who needs to hear this, but this is a season where we navigate complicated relationships and we're living in these waiting rooms of life. We can be cranky and we're invited to be people of grace and non-retaliation because it is so easy to defend our own behavior and demonize someone else. But we're called to be people who wait and watch and who seek mercy and justice. But the very most important thing about Jesus' return is this. Jesus' return means that our story isn't over, your story isn't over. You have a hope and future. We remember that in our chronological time, in our And God's chronos time, they have a different arc. Jesus has been born, but the world is still pregnant and waiting for his return. Jesus' return will bring mercy and justice, fully realized in a world made right. And it's the hope that we can cling to, especially in times of loss or despair. Jesus' birth issued a new creation, but it hasn't been fully realized in our sight. And just because we haven't seen it doesn't mean it isn't true and reliable. We have help. We have each other. And most importantly, we have help through the Holy Spirit when it's hard to believe and trust what we have not yet seen. We live by faith and not by sight. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus for the timing of the full realization of the kingdom? And they didn't get answers as to when, but they got the promise of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we know. We're still in the middle of our story. There's always hope because our story has not ended. Even with death and separation, our story has not ended. So how do we live as people who believe that Jesus came and will come again to bring mercy and justice? How indeed? We seek to live and learn from the rhythm of life, light and dark, Rain and dry, Advent through Lent, and our own personal seasons of our life. Secondly, we share grace instead of judgment. And we always know that grace expands our hearts rather than constrains it. We embrace the Holy Spirit's help in knowing that our story is not over, no matter what losses, what difficulties we encounter. God is with us in our waiting. The world is pregnant with hope. May it be so for you in your reading room this season. Amen.